so we're going to read Six Servants by the Brothers Grimm. In days of yore there lived a queen. She was old and ugly, but her daughter, who of course was a princess, was young and charming. She was called the fairest maiden under the sun, and many a youth, hearing tales of her dazzling beauty, had traveled from afar to win her heart and hand. All had failed, none had come back to tell the tale, and it was the ugly old queen who was to blame for this. The truth is, she was not only a queen, but a witch as well. Her head was crammed with spells and harmful charms, her heart was filled with hate. Each day she lay in wait for the youths who came to ask for the hand of her princess daughter. Whenever one of these luckless lads appeared, the ugly old witch queen would bob her head and say, Very well, I'll set three tasks for you. If you fulfill them, my daughter is yours. If you fail, you must forfeit your life. And, of course, she always made her problems so hard and impossible that no poor mortal had ever been able to solve a single one. Now, in another castle, in a land far, far away, there dwelt a young and handsome prince. He was fearless and brave, and luck followed him everywhere like a faithful dog. When he heard of the dazzling princess and her ugly old mother, he was fired with desire to win the one and outwit the other. "'Please let me try,' he said to his father. But the king replied, "'Never! If you go, you are as good as dead. No one has escaped so far. What makes you think that you will fare better?' "'No, no, my boy, I cannot let you go.' Thereupon the prince lay down on his bed and became gravely ill. For seven years he lay at death's door, and no doctor could help him. When the king saw nothing could be done about it, he said sadly, and with deep misgivings. Try it then, my poor boy. I know no other way to help you. As soon as the young prince heard this, he rose from his bed, was hale and hearty once more, and looked radiantly happy. He called for his favorite steed, leaped into the saddle, and galloped off. He wanted to try his luck all alone, and did not even take a servant or guard with him. His way took him over a wide heath, and as he was riding along, he saw something in the distance which puzzled him. Was it a haystack? Was it a hill? He could not tell, but coming closer, he saw it was neither a hill nor a haystack. It was a big fat paunch of a big fat man who lay there on his back and gazed lazily at the sky. When the fat one saw the prince, he lifted himself up on his elbows and said, I see you have no servant. In case you need one, you could take me, said the prince. True, I have no servant, but I really don't see how I could use such a monstrous big man as you are. Oh, this is nothing, laughed the fat one. When I really spread myself out, I am three thousand times as big as I am now. Well, if that is the case, said the prince, I think I can use you. Come along. The fat one came, and the two traveled on. By and by, they saw a pair of big feet stretched out on the ground. There were legs on the feet, too, but they extended so far into the distance that it was impossible to see the full length of them. The prince and the fat one walked on, and now the calves next to the knees, and then the thighs of those legs came into view. After a while, they came to the man's body, and at last they reached his head. Said the prince, Well, well, my man, you're about as long as today and tomorrow. 
Oh, that's nothing, said the long one. When I really stretch myself out, I am three thousand times as long as I am now. I have no master. Could you use me? I can use you, said the prince. Come along. The long one came, and soon the three travelers saw a man with a long, thin neck. He was stretching it out full length and was turning his head this way and that. From each of his eyes, which were clear as water, a long, bright beam of light shone forth. Said the prince, What are you looking at so eagerly? Just looking around, said the looker. My eyes are so clear, there's nothing I can't see. I can see every forest and field, every hill and hollow, every place in the world. You are just the man I need, said the prince. If you care to be my servant, come along. The looker came, and all four traveled on until they saw a man who was crouching down with his ear to the ground. Said the prince, What are you doing there? Listening, said the man. Listening to what? asked the prince. Just listening to what's going on in the world. I've got very special ears. You see, they're extra large, and there's nothing I can't hear. I can even hear the grass grow. If that's the case, said the prince, I can use you. If you want to be my servant, come along. The listener came, and all five traveled on until they saw a man with bandaged eyes. Said the prince, My man, why are you blindfolded? Is it because your eyes are weak? On the contrary, answered the man, My eyes are very sharp and strong, so whatever I look upon is shattered into a thousand pieces. I can use you, shatter eyes, said the prince. If you wish to be my servant, come along. Shatter eyes came, and all six traveled on until they saw a man hunched up by the roadside. He was smothered in shawls and mufflers, and although he was sitting in the hot noontide sun, he was shaking and shivering, and his teeth were chattering and clattering. Said the prince, My poor man, on such a hot day, what makes you so cold? It's the heat that makes me so cold, chattered the man. I'm a curious fellow, and not like other folk. The hotter it is, the fr frostier I get, and the frostier it is, the hotter I get. In the midst of cold, I sweat and swelter. In the midst of heat, I shiver and shake. Brrrr. You are indeed a strange fellow, said the prince. I'm sure you would come in handy sometime. If you want to be my servant, Frosty Hot, come along. Frosty Hot came, and the prince was much pleased with his six new servants. They all traveled on. The prince led the way, and each one in turn followed him. The fat one, the long one, the looker, and the listener. Shatter eyes and Frosty Hot. When they reached the witch queen's country, the prince left his six servants at an inn and went alone to the queen's castle. He did not tell her who he was, but merely said, You have a beautiful princess daughter. I intend to win and wed her, and I am ready for any task you may set me. The witch queen was delighted at getting such a handsome youth in her clutches. Fine, fine, she said. Take your chance, my boy. Take your chance. I will set three tasks for you. If you fulfill them, you can have the girl. If you fail, well, that's the end of you, my lad. She was smirking and rubbing her hands. It was easy to see she could hardly wait for him to fail. I am ready, said the prince. What is the first task? cackled the witch queen. In the bottom of the Red Sea lies a ring. I must have it by noon today. The prince walked off with a jaunty step, but he did not feel as carefree as he looked. When he reached the inn, he said to his six servants, The first task is certainly not an easy one. 
Old Ugly Face wants a ring which lies at the bottom of the Red Sea, and she says she must have it by noon today. Can any of you help me look? Help me find it? Let me look," said the looker. He stretched out his neck, turned his head this way and that, and took a long, long look. The beams from his eyes shone forth far, far, far out into the world, and down, down, down to the bottom of the Red Sea. I see the ring," he cried. "It's hanging on the tip of a jagged rock, in the very middle of the water. But how can we reach it?" Now the long one lifted them all on his back. Then, with a few big strides, he walked to the shore of the Red Sea and said, "Well, here I am. I can reach it easily enough, but there's so much water I can't see the stone. Now, what can we do about that?" "Oh, well, I can do something about that," laughed the fat one. He puffed himself up until he was three thousand times as fat as he was before. Then he lay down on the shore, placed his lips to the water's edge, and drank and drank and drank. One wave after another disappeared, and at last he had swallowed up the whole Red Sea. And there, sure enough, was a jagged stone on which dangled a ring. The long one leaned over, grabbed the ring, and handed it to the prince. The prince was overjoyed and hurried to the witch queen's castle without delay. When the old queen saw the ring, she was almost too astonished to speak. But at last she managed to say, "Yes, it's the right ring. There's no doubt about that. But of course, the first task is always easy. The second will be harder." "I'm ready," said the prince. "What is it?" "Ha <laughs> ha!" cackled the queen. "In my big meadow are three hundred plump oxen." By sundown tonight, every ox must be eaten up—hair, hide, hoofs, and horns. Also, in my cellar are three hundred casks of wine. This wine must all be drunk up to the last drop, and by sunset too. See what you can do about that. And may I not invite some guests to this marvelous feast? Asked the prince. After all, no meal tastes good without company. Oh well," said the queen with a malicious laugh. "You may invite one, but that's all." <laughs> The prince walked off, whistling loudly. And when he reached the inn, he said to the fat one, "Come, my dear fellow, I'm afraid you haven't been getting enough to eat. But today you shall be my guest at a feast, which you will not soon forget." When the fat one saw the three hundred plump oxen and three hundred casks of wine, he puffed himself out and out and out until he was three thousand times as fat as he had been. Mosiah, shh! Oh, save the baby. Then he gobbled up the three hundred oxen, so that neither hair, hide, hoofs, nor horns were left, and then said, "Well, that was a good breakfast." Then he drank the wine out of the three hundred casks without leaving a single drop. When the, this mighty feast was finished, he felt fine, wobbled back to the inn, and fell into a contented sleep. The prince went to the witch queen, and when he told her the second task was fully completed, she was even more astonished than the first time. But she did not show it, and with a false smile, she said, "You are indeed a remarkable lad. And now, are you ready for the third task?" "I am ready," said the prince. "What is it?" Cackled <laughs> the queen. "Tonight you must sit beside my daughter and put your arm around her. Take care that you don't fall asleep and that she doesn't get away from you. At midnight I'll appear, and if she isn't there in your arms, it's all over with you." That's easy," thought the prince. "All I have to do is keep my eyes open and hold her tight." 
But as he thought it over, he said to himself, No, it sounds too easy. There must be a catch in it. And in order to be on the safe side, I'll get my six servants to keep strict watch tonight. At dusk, the ugly old queen brought her dazzling daughter to the prince's quarters at the inn. She directed the handsome young pair to sit side by side on a bench, and then she placed the young lad's arm around the maiden's shoulder. This done, she left, cackling softly to herself. After the old queen was well out of sight, the long one twined himself around and round the bench, so the princess could not get away. The fat one planted himself before the door so that no one could get in, and the other four servants sat together nearby, all ready for action in case they were in need. In case they were needed. Well, well, the hours wore on, and there sat the handsome prince beside the dazzling princess. The girl looked sweetly contented, and as for the prince, he could not keep his eyes off such an entrancing vision. He was happy beyond words, and did not feel the least bit sleepy. This pleasant situation might have continued all night, but such was not the queen's plan. At eleven o'clock she threw an enchantment over them all. In a twinkling, everything was changed. The prince was fast asleep, so was the fat one at the door, so was the long one twined around the bench, so were the looker, the listener, Shatter-Eyes, and Frosty-Hot. But the witch-queen, too sure of her success, had not made the spell strong enough, and a quarter to twelve the enchantment wore off. The prince was the first to open his eyes. His arm was no longer around the princess, for the princess was gone. "'Alas, alas!' cried the prince. "'Now I am lost forever!' At this the six servants woke up, and they too began to weep and wail and wring their hands. Suddenly, hush, hush, whispered the listener, cupping his hand to his huge ear. I hear something. It's the voice of the princess, I think. She's crying. What is it she's saying? Something about being in a rock. Take a look, looker. Maybe you can see her. The looker stretched his neck and took a long, long look. It was a look one hundred miles long. He couldn't see her. Who's the local? It's the guy who can look really good. This good? This one? The looker stretched his neck and took a long, long look. It was a look 100 miles long. Oh, we just said that part. He couldn't see her. Then he took a long, long, and longer look. This was a look 200 miles long. Still, he couldn't see her. At last, he took a long, 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 and yet longer look. And this was a look three hundred miles long. The bright beams shone from his eyes, first to the east, next to the south, now to the west, and then to the north. I see her, he cried at last. She's in a rock, sure enough, and it's three hundred miles due north. Shake a leg, long one. Gladly, said the long one, but I'll need a helper. You, Shatter Eyes, come along and off we'll go. The long one bent down and lifted Shatter-Eyes on his right shoulder. Then he stretched and stretched and stretched himself out until he was three thousand times as long as he had been. He strode due north, and in trice, in a trice, they were standing in front of the rock. Shatter-Eyes raised his bandage for just one second, and as his sharp glance smote the rock, it burst into a thousand pieces, and there sat the princess, quite unharmed. She seemed much pleased at being rescued, and stopped crying immediately. The long one bent down and lifted the princess up on his left shoulder, and in three mighty strides, left, right, left, all three were back at the inn. 
Well, well, there they sat once more, looking very cheerful and triumphant. The prince with his arm around the princess, and the six servants glaring around fiercely and keeping terrific guard. At the stroke of midnight, the witch queen came slinking in. She thought, of course, that her daughter was still bewitched and safely hidden in the rock three hundred miles away. On her face was a hideous grin, and she was cackling softly to herself. Now I've got him. <laughs> now I've got him. But when she saw the prince, wide awake and with his arm around the princess, as though nothing had happened, she was so angry that she gave a loud hiss. The prince had fulfilled the three tasks she had set him, but she was not ready to give up. Horrid schemes grew in her head like weeds in a garden, and she soon thought of a way out. Her power over the prince was gone, she knew that, but her daughter was still under her power, so this is what she did. She whispered something into her daughter's ear. Tell him. What could the poor princess do? She was under her mother's power and had to follow her command. So although she hardly knew what she was saying, the princess said to the prince, Is it, it is true you have won my hand, but the bargain was made without my consent. Have I nothing to say about it? The prince, who always tried to be fair, said, You are right, dear princess, your consent has not been asked. What can I do to gain it? Now the witch queen leaned in, over and whispered into her daughter's ear, Tell him! And the poor princess had to say to the prince, A big bonfire will be built here immediately. If you can find someone who will sit in the middle of it, I will marry you. That was all the witch queen's idea, of course. She thought no one would risk his life for the prince, and so the prince, to prove his love for the princess, would have to sit in the bonfire himself. And that, thought the old witch-queen, would be fine, for then she would be rid of him forever. But what she didn't know was that the prince's faithful servants were already making plans to help him. They were talking amongst themselves, and they said, We have all done something for our master, all but Frosty Hot. Come now, come on, old fellow, it's your turn now. They led him to the fire, which was already blazing away, and Frosty Hot, drawing his shawls and mufflers about him, jumped in. It was an enormous fire. Three hundred loads of wood were in it, and it made a great heat for miles around. It burned for three days and three nights, and when the last of the flames had died down, there among the ashes and cinders stood poor Frosty Hot, shaking and shivering. His teeth were chattering so he could hardly talk, but at last he managed to stammer out, Such a frost I have never felt! Had it lasted longer, I'd have frozen to death. This was too much for the witch queen. She saw it was all over, and she took to her heels. But at that moment, Shattereyes lifted his bandage for just one second, and his sharp glance struck her. She burst into a thousand pieces, and that was the end of the wicked creature. Everyone breathed a sigh of relief, and even the princess felt better. She was tired of being bewitched all the time, and now that she was her real self, Mommy, she I... fell in love with the prince, and then and there, and they lived in peace and happiness ever this after. Pie...